Well, good morning. You may have a seat. Find your way back to a seat this morning. Um, we are uh, on this great journey in Footsteps of Faith, talking about the story of Jonah today. And, uh, you know, Jonah is this book that we all have thoughts about, and uh, its primary, one of its primary themes is this idea of running. Now, when it comes to running, when I think about, like, running away, um, this one thing comes to mind, my dog. Now, I have this dog. We've had it since it was young. I was actually away when my family chose this dog. And, um, you know, some of you have in your mind, when you think about someone saying about a dog, you, you picture a dog, right? This is my dog. Not really a dog, kind of a cat or maybe a guinea pig in a dog's body. Um, actually coughs up hairballs, just like a cat, and a lot of times acts like a cat, and I secretly hate cats. So the dog and I have this kind of love and, and go in relationship, because sometimes he does have these dog tendencies, but there's, there's this one thing that he just kind of like, he likes to be around people, but he really doesn't care whether he pleases you or not. He could care less about, like, I used to have a Labrador retriever, right? And when you train her, she loved to, like, please you. So, like, it's easy to train her because she was like, oh, sure, I'll do what you want. I love doing what you want. This dog could care less about what I want. It cares about what it, I mean, I am there to serve the dog. So, when the dog was young, um, my kids, would, it was always a runner. So, we'd let it out of the house, and the dog would, like, take off, right? And there were a number of times that my kids, at, like, they were probably seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there, and they would chase this dog down because it's, like, First of all, the dog has food at our house, water at our house, outside of being tortured a bit by my sons, has it pretty good at our house, right? Like, it doesn't really have to do anything but live there. Like, I want that life at our house, right? Never has any chores, never has to clean the toilet, like, sometimes thinks the toilet is inside. Like, this dog has it made, runs off. My kids chase it down, and they would pursue this thing like out onto the road. They're like stopping traffic to rescue their dog, who is like chasing cars as if when it catches the car, it's going to do something with it, right? Like, what is it going to do when it catches the car? So there's my dog just running over and over and over. And all I can think is, stupid dog. Like, do you know how good you have it here? Like, if you stay in the boundaries, like, things are good for you here. And my kids only want the best for you. Like, they don't. They're not trying to restrict you. They're actually trying to keep you alive, trying to keep like the very best for you is right here, like everything you need. There's a yard to run, and there's all this great stuff, and you're just taking off and running. All of us have had like a pet like that or maybe a person like that. Like they're just they're going off and doing their own thing. And if you ever had to live that life or you've ever been that person, I've, there's a season in my life where I just off and run in my own direction, ignoring everybody else's thing, I knew it was best. I'm going to do it. Put myself and others in danger. If you've ever been that person, you've ever had a loved one like that, a kid, uh, someone in your life, that's just like, oh, that's just, that's not what's best. I want to pursue you. You've ever been through the frustrations and the joys and the hurts that go with that? Then that's the story of Jonah. You start, you've already begun to know it well because Jonah is the story about God's amazing love, how he pursues people, though they might run, they might go their own way, like he pursues them over and over again. doesn't matter what you've done, how many hurts you have, what you're thinking about doing, God is pursuing you, and his love is endless for you. 
And that is the story of Jonah. So if you pull out your program guide, your outline today, um, you can follow along in the scripture as we read a little bit about the story of Jonah. Now, when we're talking about the story of Jonah, how many of you are familiar with this story? Anybody in the room familiar with the story? Okay, so what's the first thing, for those that are familiar with the story, what's the first thing you think about when you think about Jonah? The whale, right? The whale's got like two verses, okay? Two verses in four chapters, and what do we remember about the story? The whale. Now, given the whale's kind of amazing, you know, anytime you read commentaries or go into the story, there's all kind of debate about, well, could he really got swallowed by a whale? Is that really possible? Which just kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, really? You're talking about the Bible and you're amazed that a whale, like a person came back to life after they died and you're worried about a whale. Like the whole Bible was filled with miracles. That's kind of God's business. He's in the business of this. And if you didn't know that, that was a good context to know before you started reading the book. That's Jonah's story. But we get into the whale, and there's all this other good things in here, and there's this theme about Jonah. Now, some of you might not be as familiar with the story, and so I want you to have a chance to really get familiar with the story, not to be outdone by any Hollywood studio. Pastor Ryan, our children's pastor, has put together an amazing movie, little mini-movie for you about the life of Jonah. And so if you'll tune in, you will get totally educated about the story. Let's check it out. This is the life. Jonah, get up. God, go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Yes, God, finally, Nineveh's going down. I've been waiting for the... Wait a second. I see what you're doing here, God. You want me to warn them because you're going to have mercy, aren't you? Jonah, I love everyone. It's my choice if I decide to have mercy. Oh, this is not good. Uh, hey, God, oh, what's that over there? See ya. I'm getting on the boat. Captain, are we on our way to Tarshish? Yes, we be on our way. But why couldn't you talk to me on deck? Uh, it's a little scary up there. Uh, I think I'm going to hang down here the whole trip. Ye be a strange bird. Suit yourself. I did it. I made it. We're not going to Nineveh. Woo, look at that nice bed up there. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> Captain, we've thrown everything overboard that we can. We're still going to sink and die. Tell everyone to pray to ye gods. This be the end. Everyone already is. Except for that one strange bitter guy that is always smiling. He's asleep below deck. He best wipe that smile off his face and start praying. I'll get him. Get up. Where am I? Oh, yeah. Not going in ever. How can he be sleeping through the storm? This is the biggest squall I've ever seen. This be the end. Pray to your God. Well, pray to my God? Well, that makes sense, I guess. He is the God of the sea and the land. What? He's the God of the sea! This be the end. Captain, Captain, we figured something out. Me and the crew, we know that it's this smiling guy that's the cause of this storm. Is he right? He's right. Just throw me overboard and it'll stop. I know it. Hmm, let's go. Ah, ah, ah. Ooh. Are you sure you want me to be doing this? 
Isn't your god going to punish us? No, I, I think this is the only way you're going to survive. Hmm. I'll do it! I'll do it! <laughs> hey, the storm stopped. <gasps> yeah! Hey, maybe this be not the end. I think I may be following that guy's god. Yeah, yeah, me too. <gasps> I can breathe. Oh, gross. This is slimy. I'm in the belly of a fish. Um, God, uh, thanks for rescuing me. Jonah, I'm giving you another chance. Go to Nineveh. Oh, okay, okay. I'll go. Maybe they won't repent and be destroyed. What was that? No, no, nothing, God. Uh, no, nothing. I'll go. Oh, gross. Oh, I need a bath. Oh, hey, Nineveh, I'm here. Well, better get on with it. Hey, excuse me, sir. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yes? Well, I need to tell you a story. Well, uh, so I was out on the Mediterranean. There was this big old storm. They threw me in the water and the storm stopped. <gasps> That's a miracle. <gasps> wow. Uh, yeah. You, well, then I was swallowed by this big fish for three days and three nights, and it spit me out right here. <gasps> wow. Your God rescued you. Uh, you believe me? Uh, well, uh, then uh, I just want to tell you that God told me to tell you that, uh, <clears throat> I'm 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. <clears throat> Did you say 40 days? Your God said that in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed? Uh, yeah, uh, you heard that? Uh, isn't that crazy? That's awful! I better make some changes around here! Who are you? I'm the king, and I believe you. I have to go. Come on, guys. Oh, 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 I did it. 40 days of being in that awful city. It's time to watch the judgment. Oh. Jonah, great job. Oh, God. Oh, thank you so much. Everyone in the city of Nineveh turned from their evil ways. I've changed my mind. I've decided not to destroy Nineveh. Oh, God. I knew you would do that. I knew this is not fair. They deserve to be destroyed. On top of that, I said it would be destroyed. Now I'm just like a big liar and a bad prophet. Oh, please kill me, God. You have no right to be angry about this. You've saved thousands of people. Go away, God. I just want to kill me. Oh. Okay, uh, you can do that. Oh, oh, what a nice spine. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on? Hey, hey, hey! Stop that! Stop it! Stop it! Oh, not nothing! Everything is going wrong! <laughs> Just kill me, God! <laughs> Are you upset about the vine dying? Of course I am, God! I am nothing! Nothing is going right! Shouldn't 120,000 people's lives concern you more than a vine? What? Well... I guess so. Let me think about that. And now you have been educated on Jonah. Isn't it great how he smiles even when he's mad? And yeah.
So the um, story of Jonah doesn't tie up too tightly and comes together like that story. And uh, you, you probably ought to appreciate in the story of Jonah a little historical context. See, Jonah happened during a time when you know, there had been other world powers like Egypt in the world. But this was a season, um, a place in time where for the first time a world power had empire ambitions, right? It was the first of a string of empires that wanted to conquer the world, that wanted to do their thing, and this was the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were known as an empire. Specifically, they had some things that people just knew about them. Um, in in uh, Surprised by Grace, Tullian writes this about them. It's safe to say that no people in all the span of biblical history had a worse reputation for brutality and arrogance than the Assyrians. The effect, and this effect, was intentional on their part, It was part of their design that featured deliberate terror and atrocity as instruments of foreign policy. You see, the Assyrians had learned that if they're going to conquer the world, they need people to give up before they even fight, right? So they're like the bully in the block. Like, if I torture someone enough, rather than being tortured, they'll just give in to us, and we won't have to go to all this battle. We don't have to need need as many people. This is the Assyrians' reputation. And so Jonah lives during a season when he experienced that. And if you, you know, you, you're living in that kind of terror world, it kind of gives you some good reason not to want to go when God tells you to go to Nineveh, go to the, to the Assyrians' capital, Nineveh, and tell them, hey, it's all going down. God's had enough with you. You're going down. Like, not you're quite the right place that you want to be. And, you know, if you're a prophet, you apply to be a job as a prophet, like, this is kind of what you do, right? Like, hey, you're going to be the guy that goes out and delivers messages to people that they don't want to hear, and they'll probably want to kill you or something afterwards. Hey, that signed me up. Woo! That sounds like a great position, but this is, this is where Jonah is. This is his job as a prophet. And so Jonah lives during the season when the kingdom of Israel um, was one kingdom, has actually become quite powerful in their little region, and then the children were fighting. And they became two kings. I mean, they divided. And there, so there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And uh, during that season of the Assyrian reign, the northern kingdom was actually conquered. And so now Jonah is going to Nineveh, knowing what they've done and tortured, people that he probably knew, people of his own race and nation, that he was going to write to them to confront them. So when God tells him, go and confront the Ninevites, he has some pretty good reasons to go, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And then we find them in Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The Lord gives them this message. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. So God's not like not paying attention here. He's seen this and he said enough. I've had enough with their brutality, their hostility. I'm putting an end to it. So Jonah gets up and what does Jonah do? Surprise, right? My job as a prophet is to do this. What does Jonah do? He fails his first performance review, okay? Off to the opposite direction. Boss tells me go this way, I go this way. And not just like, hey, I'm trying to get out of this thing or I'm going to ignore it, passively aggressive, pretend you didn't hear it. Like, he gets on a ship, sails the opposite direction towards Tarshish, hides out, tries to get away from God. This is Jonah's story, the story of running. And you can't really blame him because God's asking a bit much on this one as he sails on this ship in the opposite direction. Here's the thing, and I don't get quite about the story. It's surprising as you read it. Jonah goes the opposite direction, completely disobeys God. 
does whatever he wants to do as opposed to what God asked him to do. Why? Like, well, he didn't want to do it. But more importantly, God pursues him and sends a storm to correct his path. Now, here's what I don't get. He's sailing in the opposite direction. God sends a storm to correct him. Was God out of options? Like, did God take out an employment ad looking for profit to confront Nineveh and no one else has applied? Like, Jonah's his only guy. I just need somebody that can fog a mirror to get this job done. Like, is God out of options here? Does he not have any power? Can he not do this without Jonah? I don't think so. That's not typically anything in the scripture that talks about God, says that he's powerless to do anything. He absolutely has to have this. So why does he go after Jonah? Why does he pursue him to try to get Jonah to do the right thing? Because it's not just about the Ninevites. It's not just about carrying out justice. It's that God is pursuing Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah's heart. And if you've ever been in that place where you've gone off on your own and done your own thing, only to realize that a storm's come into your life, it's God pursuing you. And God's saying, I want you back. I want you to know me. I want your heart. And the storm is God's way of kind of correcting Jonah's way his wayward heart, helping him to come back. And every time Jonah said, listen, God, my way is better than your way. I think I got this under control. I'll do my own thing. It was really his way of saying, God, I'm going to rely on myself. I think my judgment's better than yours. And every time we say, when we have something in our life that we need to confront and we ignore it, we run away from it, we don't deal with it, when God asks us to, when we know it's the right thing to do, we're really saying, instead of saying yes to God, we're saying yes to ourselves. And worse, we're saying yes to our fears, our bitterness, our anger, our sense of control. We, have, we enslave ourselves often to things other than God. We're not really free. We think sometimes running is going to get us freedom, but instead it enslaves us to danger and puts ourselves in danger. And we become a little bit, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, I was a lifeguard. And if you've ever seen someone drown, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like, they're out, like, if, if you know how to swim, drowning seems ridiculous, right? Like, treading water is one of the simplest things. That, like, if, can, ever, can you guys move your hands like this? You now know how to tread water. Isn't that great? You do this enough, you keep your head above water, right? And in a pool where I was a lifeguard, the edge of the pool is no more than like five feet away at any time, right? You're never like, it's not like you're out in the middle of the ocean, you have to tread water like this for a long time. Kick your feet a little, like if you can do two things at once, kick your feet too, and do this, you're swimming, right? So when you look up, when you see someone drown, and when they teach you to rescue someone that's drowning, they tell you like, you keep something between yourself and them. Otherwise, you will be the life preserver. You will drown with them. Because people who are drowning, they're splashing, they're thrashing, they're doing everything they can to keep their head above water, to just keep going, and we're just like that in our lives. Like when you say yes to your fears, when you run away from what God wants is very best for you, when you're trying to do that, you and I are just like the drowning victim. We're thrashing and trying to keep our heads above water, trying to control life, trying to avoid our fears, trying to do whatever we're trying to do just to keep our heads above water, when God is right there at our side saying, just take the life preserver. But instead, we're trying to throw ourselves one. We're trying to just survive. When God says, I want you to thrive. I have this gift to you to thrive. 
Freedom comes when we realize that the greatest danger in life is not us, you know, just out there. The greatest danger in life is when we rely on ourselves, when we try to do things apart from God. When I, when I was a parent, when my kids were young, and even if you're not a parent, you kind of get this. You've probably seen it before. You ever play that game with kids where you run after them? You're like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You know what I mean? And the kids are like two, three, four, five, and they're like, ah, ah, and they're running around the house. And I used to chase them in circles. Does a kid really want to get away? No. What's he want? He wants to get caught, right? I mean, what he really wants is for you to catch him and grab him and grab him up in your arms and hug him and swing him around and sing over him and tell him how great he is. Like, that's, that's what every child wants. But too often we're like my dog who's running away thinking, I don't want to get caught. See, when it comes to God pursuing us, freedom is not found in getting away. Freedom is found in being caught. Being caught up in the arms of a father who desperately loves you, who desires you and wants you to be part of his love. And that's where Jonah was. God was pursuing him. God was running him down. He'll stop at nothing to pursue your heart, to help you know him, to help you understand that. And in the New Testament, Jesus actually refers back to this story as the story of what it looks like for God to pursue you. He refers to it as the sign of Jonah, the three days that he would spend, his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The very same sign. When he says that, what he means is, This is the picture. The cross is the picture of Jesus Christ coming in demonstration of I have pursued all of humanity that you might be set free from sin and fear and shame and control that you might be caught up by the arms of God, that I might lead you home again to the Father who wants to sing over you, who wants to love you, who wants to enjoy you and have the very best plan for your life. This is Jesus' greatest picture to us. His incarnation, God's incarnation of God himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ coming to the cross was a huge gift to each one, every one of us. Because it's his way of saying to you, I love you. I am pursuing you. And I desire to get everything out of the way that you might pursue me too. God wants that for every single one of you. He wants it for me. He wants it for you. And sometimes we just need to be like kids. Instead of running, we need to be caught. God is relentless in his pursuit of you. And I want you to take a moment now and appreciate that because I think one of the things that Jonah missed out on is totally appreciating just how relentless God's pursuit of him was. So take a moment, maybe this morning your prayer that you need to pray during this song, that you need to express to God during this song is a prayer of thankfulness. God, thank you for pursuing me. I'm looking back over my shoulder and seeing all those places that you intervened that sent storms in my life that I might know you. And maybe this morning you look at that and you go, God, I I need to stop running. I've been running and I need to be caught. So God, just catch me this morning. Embrace me this morning. Take a moment to reflect on that this morning. strength.
pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for chasing after us, for pursuing us relentlessly. Whether we've run or we've done things that we're not proud of, or we are even now pursuing things that we know are not good for us. Even now, your grace reaches down to rescue us, to give us your best, to set us free, to let us return to your embrace. So God, we stop running and say, God, rescue me, catch me, embrace me again. Let me feel your forgiveness and grace, your unfailing love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It's a pretty awesome story about Jonah. I mean, when you think about how God pursued him, He said no, did his own thing, and God pursued him anyway. And God pursues every one of us the same way. His love is amazing and endless and unfailing. But it's not just for us. It's not just for you, and it's not just for me. There's a whole world of people that God cares about. And so when we think about this whole thing of running away, we need to know that not only does God pursue us, but that his love is reaches farther than any of us could ever imagine. It is greater and more amazing and reaches farther than any one of us could ever imagine. And so we need to really study this idea of God's love because it surprises Jonah. When you think at Jonah's story, you recognize that, like, it's pretty crazy, right? Like, God sends, like, the Sharknado to get Jonah's attention, right? And, like, it messes up this whole plan to run away, and then Jonah gets, jumps off the ship, is drowning. God sends a whale to rescue him. He survives that whole experience. And in chapter 2, you find this whole thing of Jonah's prayer. Like, when you're in the belly of a whale, not much else to do but pray. God has this whole conversation. God and Jonah have this whole conversation. And Jonah like is like, okay, God, you know what? You are awesome. I got to admit, this is pretty awesome. Like, I, you're the, my only hope. I rest my whole thing on you. Thank you for your amazing love. You'd think that this guy is like a changed man when he gets spit out on the shore. Like, wouldn't you be? Like, wouldn't you think like, man, I get spit out on the shore by this whale when I think it's all over. Like, I'm a changed man. Every, I see the whole world differently now. Near-death experience, pretty crazy. Jonah gets spit out by the whale, and his heart is still too small still can't contain all the love that God has. And it's kind of crazy. So Jonah goes and does what God tells him to do. And we find him now in chapter 3, verse 4. He enters the city. He does exactly what God tells him. Every one of you loves that. This is like Jonah's sermon, right? 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. This is all he does. Shouts this through the city, right? Like, Jonah is going into this thing. This is what God's told him to say. So, okay, I'll do it, God. This is all I'm doing, right? Like, this is the worst Sunday morning sermon ever, right? No worship songs, no coffee, no welcome. Like, 40 days from now, you'll be destroyed, shouting, screaming like a lunatic throughout the city. Like, the guy shows up to my seminary preaching class, big F, right? No poems, no supporting points, no scripture, like, epic fail. This is Jonah's sermon to the Ninevites. This is his attempt at doing it. Checks off the box to follow God, and there he is. Half-hearted effort, if ever. But it is like the preacher's dream, right? Like you give this half-hearted sermon, the sermon that you feel is an epic failure, and what happens? 
120,000 people come to know God and their repentance. And like, man, like I want to wake up every Monday that way, read the response cards and be like, what? Everyone repented off of that thing? God, you really are awesome. Like that really is a miracle every week that someone got that. Like this is really amazing stuff that Jonah's part of. And yet he seems to like not get it. In fact, in Jonah 3.10, he says, when, when God saw that the Ninevites had repented of their evil ways, he changed his plans. You see, God has always had a soft spot for the eager and repentant heart. No matter what you do in your life, no matter what anyone else has done in their life, God has a soft spot. It's for the heart that's repentant and eager to know him because that's all he really desires, that you might be known. He already knows we can't live life on our own and be good in any sense of the word. So he's always got a soft spot for that relationship. And this is where the story really gets good, because Jonah is just ticked off. Like, God changes his plans, not going to destroy the city, and Jonah's just furious. Like, he is seething mad. And this is what he says. So he complained about it, and he says, Now, God, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this very thing? That's why I ran away to Tarshish, because I knew you're gracious, you have this like compassion, you're slow to get angry, you're filled with love and unfailing love. I knew that you would cancel your plan. I knew that you wouldn't destroy them. I knew that you wouldn't kill me. You should just kill me instead. This is ridiculous, God. This is Jonah's rant. Now, think about this for a second. Just a little while earlier, Jonah was in the belly of a whale with a whole different story, right? The storm came. And he's got a whole different story. I think then he wanted God's unfailing love, God's unfailing compassion, God's forgiveness. This is all the things that he was seeking in that moment. And yet he doesn't want it for other people. He says, I'm sick, God, of your unfailing love. I'm sick of it. See, have you ever had one of those moments where, like, as a parent or, like, when you're just mad at somebody, like, you just start ranting, right? Like, you just start... Like, you can't even remember your kids' names. You're so mad, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you start calling them all. Like, you, don't even, you can't even get it out. And you start saying stupid stuff. Like, things just come out of your mouth. And they're so stupid. Your kids just laugh at you. Other people are just amused at your anger. Really ruins the whole effect of the moment. This is Jonah's moment, right? He's just saying stupid stuff. It's just come out of his mouth. The problem is, in all of his rage, the cards are out on the table. The truth is out. Jonah sincerely believes that some people live outside the perimeter of God's love. He's got a list, a list of people who are outside God's love that don't get that he's not going to be a part of. Now, my guess is the Ninevites aren't the only people on his list. I bet Fred down the street that has tats goes out with his drinking buddies and comes out home late on his Harley every week. I bet he's on the list. And I bet, I bet the neighbors down the street that vote different than him, I bet they're on the list. And I bet Uncle Jasper that always comes to the weddings drunk and he golfs on the Sabbath, but he's on the list. You get my point, right? He's got a list, but you see, so does God. And on God's list is every one of us, people who don't deserve my love, who I love anyway. Every one of your names is on that list. Every person on the planet's name is on that list. We've all got lists in our lives, and maybe you're like me. I know you've let your heart get a little shriveled up. Or maybe, you know, there's been points in my life where 
I was probably worse than Jonah because at least Jonah was offended at injustice. At least Jonah had a list of like people who God needs to do something about because there's injustice in the world. I didn't have that list. I was just content to live my life and do my own thing. And, you know, after I came to know Jesus, I remember this moment when God just revealed to me, like, Sean, you don't even have a list. Like, you say that you love me, but how can you love me and not love other people like I do? How can you really say that you have your love in my heart? How do you say that I'm the hope of the world and you're not sharing it with anybody? I remember going to some friends and just saying, you need to pray for me. I need to be changed. We all need to be changed. But we also all need to realize that there are people that we think are outside God's perimeter's love. They might never come to know them. There's no way, no hope for them. God says there's hope for them because I've got hope for them. This this coming week, um, I'm doing a wedding. I'm doing a wedding of a guy who I've known for some 20 years. 20 years ago, he he was like the angriest man when it came to religion or anything that I believed, like he would just, he would harass me about it. He would mock me about it. Like this is a guy, this, this is just the way he lived. And he calls me about three months ago and he's been through a lot. Like his wife has died of cancer. Like he's just, he's been through the ring. And I have, I've prayed for him. I have sent him emails. Like I just try to be there for him through all of this. Three months ago, he calls me on the phone. And he says, Sean, I'm, I'm getting married again. And I wondered if you'd consider doing my wedding. And I just kind of sat there with, with a stunned, uh, duh. So I asked him, I just said, John, I, why would you ask me? Like, you know, like, you know the kind of man I am, the faith that I have. Like, why are you coming to me about this? If you go to anybody, you get a justice of peace. Like, like this is a guy at the funeral of his first wife. Like, he didn't even have a pastor there. He did it himself because he was so angry at the church, so against anything organized, religion. And um, I asked him, he said, because, Sean, I've seen your walk with Jesus. I have a high regard for you. And I've gone from a place of being very closed to being skeptical to the first time in my life being open to what God wants to do in my life. And he and his wife, I don't know that either of them know Jesus yet, but I've had these conversations with them, and it's been the greatest privilege of my life. Because I thought for sure this guy that's outside the perimeter, like he's not, he's running, he's doing his own thing. There's no way. And God has pursued his heart relentlessly, relentlessly. And there are people in your life like that too. And if we're not careful, we have lists, and we forget that we're on the list too of people that don't deserve God's love and our heart shrinks too small. We don't believe enough about what God can do in people's lives. And this is Jonah's story because Jonah's, Jonah's so mad at God for this. And God just gently confronts him and says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Really? Is it right for you to be angry about this? And in a last-ditch effort to win Jonah's heart back, to expand his heart that he might experience God's love in a way he never has before, He goes out, he's sitting outside the city, totally ticked off, waiting for the wrecking crews to come. And God, in the last of shepherd, sends him this vine to grow up above him, to give him shade. And Jonah is like, he rests in it. He thinks it's great. He's so comfortable. The next day, God sends a worm to eat through the stem to destroy the plant. And now Jonah's mad again. God, my life has come to an end. I can't believe, like, over a plant dying. The guy is, like, off his rocker, crazy. 
okay? I'm so mad. God, just kill me. This is horrible. Everything's gone wrong for me. God, I don't understand your love. I don't understand the way it works. And God finally looks at him. And this is like the end of the story, okay? This is how the whole story ends. He says, God, I don't understand your love. And God says, Jonah, you don't understand my love? I don't understand your love. You valued a plant more than 120,000 people in a city. You're more upset over that plant dying, and its life was short anyway, than you are over 120,000 people who have turned back to me, not even including all the animals there, and you don't think I should have compassion on them. Jonah, do you see what's going on in your own heart? That's the end of the story. That's it. It's the last verse of this book. I don't know if Jonah ever got it. If he ever went, I get it, God. Okay, all right. Do something new in me. Maybe the better question today is, do you and I get it? Do we get that no one is outside the perimeter of God's love? Do we get that no one should be off of our list? Do we get that God pursues us relentlessly? He loves us and he'll do anything. He'll send anything. He'll do anything in our lives to recapture our hearts that we might be free. Do we get that it's not running that sets us free? It's being caught by God and allowing our lives to be the kind of lives that allow others to be caught too to be embraced by the Father, to find their way home. This is God's great gift to every one of us. So this morning I ask you, like, if you're a runner, like you've, you know what it's like to run. There's something in your life that you've been running from, something that you know you should confront and you haven't. Do you know that God is pursuing you? That if you'll just give up on obeying all of your fears and your control and all the stuff else in your life and just say, God, you know what? I'd rather have you. Will you catch me? Then this morning, maybe this is your moment. Maybe this morning you have a list. It's got some people's names on. You're pretty sure they're outside the perimeter of God's love. Maybe God wants to reform that list. Maybe this morning you even want to put your name at the top. People that don't deserve God's love and that he loves anyway. Maybe this morning you've even, you don't have a list. And you think this morning... There's people in my life that need to be on this because Jesus is the hope of the world. And if I really sincerely believe that, then I need to share it. I need to help them. God, I just want to be part of that journey. And so I want to challenge you this morning to consider how can you have God's heart? How can you have God's eyes? How can you see the world and the people around you just the way he does so that your heart might expand infinitely? Like, so that it can't even contain the love of God that he wants to give you. I want to pray and let you just have a moment to think about who needs to be on that list. How does God want to reform you this morning? Let's pray. God, this morning, we are all the first names on the list of people who don't deserve your love, but you, that list is different for you. Jesus, you came to demonstrate your great love for us. You put yourself and your life on the line. You died and rose again that we might have life, that we don't have to be enslaved to our fears and our sin and our shame, that we could be set free, that we might know you, that we might be embraced by the Father again. And so, God, I pray that first, thank you for all of us. I pray that every person here might enter into that kind of relationship with you. And I, then, I, God, I just want to say, bring to mind 
our minds, expand our hearts and bring to our minds the names of people who might currently be outside the perimeter of your love that we need to see the way you see, that we might open our eyes and our hearts, expand our vision and our hearts, that we might see people the way you do, that our heart might not contain the incredible love that you want to flow through us. In Jesus' name.